probably the reality is that faithfulness just isn't very valued. Um, we want the new shiny discussion. We want the new shiny book. We want the new shiny guru uh, mm-hmm. telling us, hey, here's how to have the great life. Like, girl, wash your face. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's selling bonkers at like Target and things like that. Not, and yeah, I read it and I was so discouraged. Um, I'll say this. I was so discouraged because from a line that said, your life is up to you. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I don't think there's a bigger anti-gospel statement than that. Um, thankfully my life is not up to me. It is up to a God who is rescuing me, um, who has rescued me from the dominion of darkness. Um, and so thankfully, and his spirit in me will change me. So I absolutely despise making mistakes. <laughs> it's, it's actually one of the worst things, um, that I, I know about myself is that, Uh, You know, I'm kind of a control freak, a a perfectionist, and when I make a mistake publicly, uh, you know, I really, really uh, deal with, you know, feelings of embarrassment and things like that. So I, I have a confession for you today. I made the biggest mistake thus far in the life of the All Things All People podcast, and I'm glad that you're listening today to the All Things All People podcast. Our guest today is Melissa Kruger, who is a phenomenally interesting woman. Uh, She serves as the director of women's content at the Gospel Coalition. The Gospel Coalition is a tremendous, uh, kind of like an aggregate of resources from all sorts of scholars and pastors and researchers and authors. And uh, she is one of the main people producing quality content that you really should check out uh, in the link to or in the show notes for this episode. um, I've linked to the women's page at the Gospel Coalition. And so go check it out. She's awesome. And she she's written quite a few books that you should check out. But the mistake that I made today, and I'm going to preface it with this. um, If you're familiar with the show at all. You know that I, I do try my best to do as much extensive research as I can on a guest. And, uh, I, you know, I sort of pride myself in that. You know, I want guests to feel appreciated when they come on the show. I want them to feel as if, uh, you know, I, as the host, have given them enough respect to really, you know, kind of cherish and, uh, you know, appreciate, like, the work that they've done and are doing. And a lot of times people come on the show because they're pr- promoting something. And so somehow in the lead up to today's episode with, with Melissa, I got confused about a book that she and I discuss in this episode. Uh, and the book is called Growing Together, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests. And that book is actually the basis for what we're talking about today is mentoring uh, within the church and discipleship and all the things that come with it in the life of the church. And it's a tremendous book. It's a tremendous conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it, but we have some other crossway authors coming up, uh, namely, uh, Sam Alberry, Stephen Nichols, Brett McCracken, uh, crossway is one of my favorite publishers and they always produce really quality content. Somehow I mixed up the date for Melissa's book, as coming out in this June and all throughout the conversation, 
I mention it as if it's a forthcoming book and it's coming out in this June and go buy this book, go pre-order this book. I think I even say at one point and Melissa, so wonderfully nice to not embarrass me on my own show. After we finished the conversation, she said, I didn't have the heart to say this to you, but the book actually came out last June. So you can go buy the book. No need to pre-order it. (laughs) Simple mistake. Um, And of course, I apologize profusely to Melissa. If she's listening to this episode, sorry once again. But for you listening, A, what you need to learn is... I try not to make mistakes, especially when it comes to research, but it's going to happen. We we put on an episode every week. So there you go. There's my first big one. I think more to come. I'm sure. But the second thing is go buy the book, go buy growing together, taking mentoring beyond small talk and prayer requests, which it's linked in the show notes. But you know, with that book in mind, um, you do, you do have a tremendous episode, a tremendous uh, conversation to listen to between me and Melissa talking about just what exactly would it look like if Christians took Um, the opportunity to mentor and be mentored by um, older people in the church. Um, For those of us who do have just even a little bit of age on us, what would it look like if every one of us decided to pull a, a younger brother or sister in Christ along with us and teach them the little bit that we feel like we know and uh, watch them navigate, watch, watch, let them watch us navigate the things that we don't know. And so it's a really encouraging conversation. And Melissa is um, just, you know, obviously she's really nice because she didn't correct me in the middle of our conversation. So here I am correcting myself. So you got a good one in store for you today. Uh, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's go ahead and get to it. And it's with our Christian thinker for this week, Melissa Kruger. My next guest serves as director of women's content at the gospel coalition. She is the author of the envy of Eve finding contentment in a covetous world walking with God in the season of motherhood, in all things, a nine-week devotional Bible study on unshakable joy, and the forthcoming Growing Together, taking mentoring beyond small talk and prayer requests. Her words and thoughts, which I especially enjoy, can often be found on the Gospel Coalition's website in the form of her own blog, Wits, and it is my honor to have on the show today, Melissa Kruger. Melissa, thank you so much for making time for the show. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah. Um, so uh, I had mentioned to you that I, I did not realize that you and I were both in Western North Carolina. Um, but in doing research for the show, I also did not realize that you were a North Carolina Chapel Hill alumnus. Yes, yes. That's actually where Mike and I, my husband met was at yes. Chapel Hill. Um, and so he was actually my brother's roommate. So both my brother and I went to Chapel Hill and um they were seniors when I was a freshman. And so I came in and got to just was hanging out at my brother's house and got to meet his roommate. And so it was pretty, (laughs) pretty pretty amazing. But yeah, we love North Carolina. Okay, good. So me and all the guys that I work with at the church I pastor at are are feverish Tar Heel basketball fans. And I wonder if you and Mike are big basketball fans too. Well, you know, we are sad Carolina fans. We, <laughs> we are very, very sad. We, um, 
my freshman year, his senior year, actually, we won the national championship. So that yes. was huge. You know, it was so much fun. It was great. We had such a you know, fun time. But then we moved overseas. And when we were living overseas, you could not get um, college basketball, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 when we lived there. And so we kind of got out of the habit. We're both actually huge soccer fans. And so <laughs> well, they're he, good. North Carolina is good at soccer, too. So, yeah, that's true. Their women's soccer team is unbelievable. Um, I mean, they they're phenomenal. They have a dynasty over there. Mm-hmm. So we he and I will say this. If you want tickets, it's much easier to get tickets to a girls soccer match at Carolina than a basketball game. So yeah. it works out cheaper, well too, probably. Us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so. exactly. Well, I, yeah, I think that's it, it's phenomenal. I, I, I enjoy. Um, you know, you mentioned your husband Mike. He's the president of Re- Reform Theological Seminary, which is one of the best evangelical seminaries in the country. Um, and he, this interview is not about him. I was like, when I, every time I interview somebody who has a spouse who also does important work, uh, I, I always like to remember we're talking about Melissa, but Mike is obviously a prolific author and and wonderful scholar, but you two both have such a tremendous influence uh, through Gospel Coalition and and so many other avenues. And so it's perfect to me that you are now sharing this message about mentoring and discipleship and the book, Growing Together, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests as, as a pastor of a smaller uh, church in Western North Carolina, that last tagline, small talk and prayer requests stuck out to me, especially um, as we jump in and talk about the book and all of the work that you have been uh, so faithful to do. What was it that caused you to want to write a book that shares that message of, hey, relationships need to be more than just saying, hey, I'll pray for you. Um, mm-hmm. And these kind of superficial, you know, ships passing in the night type of friendships that we have. What was the catalyst for that? Yeah, absolutely. Really, um, in so many ways, both my husband and I worked um, at our church for years. And it's funny, he was really over adult ed and I was over women's ministry. And, you know, both of those involved a lot of discipleship conversations. So I, you know, the the one nice thing, I'll I'll talk about him all day long because I steal so much from him um, that it's really helpful. And thankfully, I don't think it's called plagiarism when you steal from your husband. (laughs) That's probably Um, true, yeah. (laughs) The conversations that we get to have because we're both thinking through the same things. So he was thinking through just general church discipleship. And I was always thinking of discipleship with women in the church. And what I found is that most women had no vision for what mentoring could look like one-on-one in the church context, because they themselves had never been mentored. And so we have all of these women who desperately want deeper relationships and they didn't know how to get them. And so I honestly, I had the first, I had the outline for this book and the first couple of chapters for this book, probably on my computer for about eight years, just sitting there saying, I'm going to get to that one day. I'm going to get to that one day. And finally I've gotten to it. And so I'm so excited because it's, it's really, um, something I just saw in the church because women were intimidated both to mentor and they really wanted mentoring to be about more than just like, you sit down and you start catching up and you say, how can I pray for you? And you might just get into the busyness of life, but there's really no growth and no spiritual growth happening. And it's good to share prayer requests. And it's good to have friends that we can talk about those things. So it's nothing against prayer requests um, at all, but it's how do I actually 
grow in my understanding of who God is and who, what the Bible says, how do we actually do that with one another rather than just kind of stay in, Hey, let's catch up about how's your job and how's work and small talk. Like how do we go deeper with one another? And so what my hope with this book is, um, is that it is kind of the springboard to help those conversations happen. So, you know, you read it together, you talk about these concepts together and um, that's my hope. And that's why I wrote it. Well, and I think it's a terrific message. It sort of reminds me of um, a book Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote many, many years ago. I think it's called Life Together, which is a similar um, similar message. Um, And and so often as in hosting this show, I've been privileged to interview um, so many women whose ministries, the thesis statement of their ministries, I feel like oftentimes applies just as much to men. And that message that you're sharing through this book, I know you're obviously geared towards reaching and teaching women, but I feel like for men listening to this show who might hear, oh, women need mentoring as a man, as a pastor, I'd say, I think it's, it's horribly absent from our lives too. Um, and so when you think about the health of a church, so obviously the church that you and Mike attend there in Charlotte, uh, the church I pastor and just the, the global church in general, um, what, what benefit do you think, uh, or even maybe to a certain degree, if we're thinking about where we're coming from as a church culture, to what detriment has an absence of mentoring relationships been to the church as a whole? Yeah, I think um, we just see that life on life cannot be replaced. And Mm -hmm. I, I think with our increasingly um, active social media presences and blog presence and article presence. It's tempting to think I can get discipled by listening to 20 sermons and just reading all the best articles, reading all the best books. Um, and I just think something is desperately missing when we do that. And it is that life on life because you can, I can tell you, you should be kind to your family. But until you see that with flesh put on it, when the child is laying down on the floor and having that tantrum for the 10th time and you're sitting with this woman and you're watching her patiently, kindly deal with this child who is just having a fit because they want to stick their finger in the socket, you know, or whatever. (laughs) That literally happened to me yesterday. I promise (laughs) you that. I mean. That's crazy that you say that. <laughs> yeah. And then, and so if a young man is watching you mm-hmm. say, and he sees tenderness, mm-hmm. he, he's going to see it. But if he reads about it, it's, it's just a word on a page. Whereas when he sees your patience and your firmness and your kindness mixed, that that's an image of holiness in some sense, or, yeah, or we can get the opposite image of, of sin at some sure. time too. And, but then there's a lesson there. They see, Oh, and then the dad went and apologized to his son and said, Hey, I shouldn't have spoken with those harsh words and all of those things you just can't get from a book. Um, yeah. You just can't get them. And I think this is where Jesus lived life on life with 12 men. I mean, this is what he did. He traveled with them. He ate with them. He lived with them. And then the the church was built from those 12 relationships. He had 12 disciples that he invested in. He had three that he really seemed to invest in even more when you look like the transfiguration. And he just had three of them up there when, when he was doing that. And so he really invested life in life. Yes, he preached sermons. Yes, he did all that. But what was his church built on? In some ways, it was these 12 men who would go forth and spread the gospel. And so I think um, 
we should never despise those little things. They seem like little things, these little relationships that are happening in homes and happening on the side of sports practices and are happening in neighborhoods. This is where, um, in so many ways, discipleship is done. Um, life on life. And I think it's needed desperately in our world that is increasingly phone on phone. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And I I guess I should say for listeners who might be confused, my son was putting his finger into the socket, (laughs) not me. Um, But you know, I think you're 100% right. And it even as you say that I think about maybe even yesterday as I, how different would my response have been if I had had a younger man, younger father there with me. And, and so it's this reciprocal relationship that you're, you're, you um, proposing to the church of saying, be a Timothy and a Paul, you know, um, be poured into, but be pouring into others. And in, in an article that you wrote for gospel coalition that I think, um, prefaced the the book that you're about to publish in June now, and I should mention it's coming out June 9th, I think right now. Um, so pre-order that, uh, if you're interested on, on, I believe on Amazon, probably gospel coalition as well. But, um, you wrote talking about mentoring. You said, we need presence, not just answers. We need pursuit, not just availability. Um, I'm sure that phrases like that were the ones that kind of Brung this message to your heart. Um, what, in your opinion, is is the difference between pursuit and availability when we think about how we're relating to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, um, the internet is always available to you. Mm-hmm. It's there, but it will never pursue you. It will never notice that you haven't been in church for three weeks. It will never notice that you were in church, but you were crying during the service. Um, it will never notice, you know, that um, you seem really distracted or disheveled or, you know, whatever it may be. So the, the internet, social media, you know, all of those things are available, but they can never pursue because they don't really see your life. And so the difference with life on life discipleship is, um, I can invest in you differently because I see you. So uh, because we're at church together, because we're in a small group together, and I really am a big believer in trying to find discipleship relationships in your normal life because they're going to work better um, because there's some level of automatic accountability. So if you're in a small group Bible study, pick one where there maybe there'll be a mentor or pick one where maybe you could mentor someone else or both. If you can find that, that'd be great. And then there's this, huh, she hasn't shown up for three weeks. I should check in on her and see what's going on because maybe her life has fallen apart in those weeks. So there's just such a difference in pursuing and the availability to pursue means we're living life on life in bigger ways versus just, I'm here. If you need me, you call me. Well, sometimes we're in such a hard place that we can't even reach out for help. So we need to be so involved in community that our absence is actually noticed and someone can pursue. Um, And so a a lot of times we just want people to pursue us, but you know, we don't know, or, and the internet is never going to do that. So if that's where you're searching for it, you're never going to get it there. Um, But the local church is really the only means for that. And so I'm just so big on discipleship needs to happen in the local church. Um, And God has put you in a local church with people and be with those people. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, obviously coming out of what is probably the most difficult year, year and a half for the American church. And in so far as most of us can remember. Um, And then also speaking about, you know, obviously you're making allusions to the internet, but I think also many of the listeners might say, I go to a church with 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, my church is not that big. Um, I don't, I don't believe the church that you guys attend in Charlotte is really that big, but some people feel somewhat nameless, faceless when they go to church because of, uh, maybe the culture that we're in at the moment, what advice would you give to somebody who doesn't necessarily feel like when you say the local church is the only vehicle and they kind of go, Oh no, I don't feel like anybody knows me at my church. Um, you know, is it small group ministry? Is it taking an active pursuit and finding a mentor? Um, what advice would you give to somebody in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I mean, I, I really feel a lot of sympathy. My husband and I um, moved churches about two years ago. He took a different job at, and we're now at a larger church. Okay. And so I have felt that. And then COVID hit. And <laughs> yeah. so, you know, so you, you've only been there about four months and then you're like, oh, wow, now we're not allowed to hug or talk to people or you know, barely mm-hmm. be at church. And so I really feel a lot of sympathy for that. Um, and I can say, there are often ways that are risky and they're hard and you have to go to places alone. And that feels a little bit terrifying and to just go to a small group. But what, what happened in some ways that was easier at our church is everything became really small. So like I joined a little Bible study. It only had nine people in it. Everything had to be small because we had to be able to socially distance. And so I would say, look, you know, read the bulletin because normally big churches have really good oh, yeah. websites and really mm-hmm. good bulletins that tell you everything going on and just go. And I know that's hard, but I've watched women who have come into our church. There, there's a young single woman who actually joined our, our Bible study midway. And, you know, she's only like 23 and she came in and within a week, she, she had already found a Bible study. And so I, I'm like, you can do it if you go for it. And um, put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Most large churches actually have more uh, fellowship opportunities that you can attend because they just have more programs and things like that. So as awkward as it is, go. And then I would also say volunteer. Find places. You know, if you if you volunteer in the nursery, you will make best friends with someone down there because yeah. somebody will be so thankful that you're there. But you yeah, really yeah. do get to know and you kind of bond with other people when you're holding that toddler mm-hmm. um, screaming <laughs> again, you know, I mean, you, you really do bond with whoever's serving with you and things like that. And, yeah. and you get to know, but, or volunteer to serve meals at what, you know, look at what the ministry of the church is and volunteer in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally you can, you can get plugged in and get to know people slowly. It takes time. I always say community takes time and you probably should expect it to take two years. And that was pre pandemic pandemic. I think it takes longer, but I think it takes about two years to start really feeling like, oh, I go to church and I know people there. Mm-hmm. If it's a larger church, let me say that. I think a smaller church that can happen more quickly. I, I, I 100% agree. And I'm so glad you threw on that addendum there at the end. In my experience, even as somebody who works on staff at a church, it did take two years, even at a smaller church, because um, you, know, you use the phrase, get plugged in and volunteer. And I think sometimes people hear that and they just go, uh, that's you know, maybe they feel as if that's superficial, but what I hear you saying, and I completely agree is the first step is just take advantage of whatever opportunities are given you, but then find community and family. Um, and that's been my experience. And I'm so glad to hear you say that, um, for me as a pastor, it was difficult because I work with like a plurality of elders. And, um, so I have other men that are, uh, pastoring with me, but some of the most beneficial mentoring relationships I've had have actually been the older men in my congregation that I'm privileged to pastor. And I think about people who might find themselves in a position listening to you, um, reading the book and them saying, well, 
you know, Melissa, the whole reason you're writing this book is because this hasn't been going on. And therefore I was never mentored. Mm-hmm. Now I sort of feel as if I'm an empty cup trying to pour into somebody else. Um, when you were writing the book, did you have that mind at all? Did you have a heart for these, not necessarily that they're just older people, but people who find themselves in a position where they feel compelled to mentor somebody, but they don't feel as if they're equipped to do it. Absolutely. That's really, honestly, more who I wrote the book for. I had more older women say to me, she wants me to mentor her and I have no idea what she wants me to do with her. And so this is just, the book is not a book about mentoring. There are two chapters about mentoring. The the majority of the chapters are actually about spiritual topics that you can discuss with a mentee. So it's to help you like I'm hoping two women will read these chapters about one's about God's word. One's about temptation. One's about prayer. You know, read these cycle through these different topics. Some are, are God related. Some are horizontal related more with people like evangelism or service or family and things like that. So they rotate through different types of relationships, but so that it will, it will serve as the content. So you don't, as the mentee, you don't have to come with all the content, but you both read the chapter and then you discuss the content. And there are questions at the back of every chapter. There are kind of activities that the mentee can do to assess spiritual gifts or, you know, fig, you know, see how they deal with money or what, what's tempting them. And there are questions that can, that you can just walk through together. I've tried to make it as easy as possible because what I know about those older women who have walked with the Lord for years, they have a lot of situational wisdom that will come up in the conversation. They just don't know how to get to the conversation. And so I know what they have in them, even though they might feel like, what do I have to offer? I'm like, you've lived through so much. You walk with the Lord through so much. You can, you know, and I'll even say this, if you've been a Christian for a year, you can disciple someone who just became a Christian. Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, whatever, wherever you are, there's someone you can pass something on to. And it really is the great commission. Go into all the world, teaching others to obey all that I've commanded. Well, that's not just teaching them the gospel, It's teaching them all that I've commanded. That's this command, make disciples. You know, it's not just make converts. Mm -hmm. So you, if you're, you know, you may, you may start at that one place with sharing the gospel with someone, but we're supposed to spend our lives making disciples, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. Well, that's going to be a long pursuit. Um, And that's really all we're talking about is, and, and, and so the hope is that this is just the springboard to get women in those conversations. Yeah. And I think it's perfect. It's perfectly timed coming out of a season where we, many of us have felt very isolated. And like you said, if, if anything, it's only going to take longer to feel community and to feel intimacy with, with friends and, and those in, in fellowship and faith. And so um, I get the sense of course, from you in talking about the book and reading the, the, the previews for the book and whatnot, that of course, mentoring has impacted you greatly. Um, what kind of experiences did you have that you're hoping now younger men and women will will be able to have through messages like this? Yeah, I was really blessed. Um, one, when I was in high school, um, there was a teacher at the school who ran a fellowship of Christian athletes, and she very informally mentored me. Um, she just put shape to what it meant to be a Christian in a work environment. And I got to see that and I got to benefit from that. And she was one of those women who will, um, she just wears wisdom and she just tells you it 
and I loved it. And so it was, it was hugely impactful to me um, to just sit in her, in her little room and talk to her. She was actually never my teacher, but I, I just got to know her through FCA. Um, then in college, I was formally mentored by my InterVarsity staff worker for three years. And I learned a lot about mentoring from her. She always asked me, would you like to meet this semester? So she put some time limits mm. on mentoring, which was really helpful. Um, you know, and, and it was, would you like to meet what day would work? And we met every, every week on that day at that time. So that really helped me learn in the future. Okay. It's okay to say, Hey, would you like to meet for six months and read this book together? Would you like to, we'll do it every Tuesday night at seven o'clock at the ice cream store or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe when, when I was having young kids, it was like once a month we'll meet, but to provide structure and location and time. That's really important so that it doesn't just fizzle into this. Oh, yeah, we said we were going to get together. I mean, put it on the calendar. So I learned a ton from her about consistency in mentoring. So that was a more formal one. And we did different things. We studied the Bible together. Um, Some semesters we just met. But she always began the semester with an ask. And then there was no expectation that we would continue unless she asked again. And Mm -hmm. so I think that was really healthy, too, because everyone has life. And we, yeah, the mentee shouldn't expect that, oh, I can, she will be my new best friend for the next 20 years. And the mentor, you know, we, we all, we all have to have limits to what we can do Mm -hmm. um, in mentoring. So I do think it's good to say, Hey, we'll reevaluate after a year or something like that um, on the front end. Yeah. I think that's so important because I read you say that somewhere else. And I thought about my own experiences and trying to communicate this type of message to people, especially the mentor figure that they get kind of this picture of Paul and Timothy in their mind. And they're like, I, I don't know that I can have somebody kind of follow me around for three years and in all these things. And it's like, no, just do what you can, um, you know, do what you can. And if all you can give is six months, give six months. And then, like you said, reevaluate it, um, go, go from there. Um, you, you make this distinction, you made it earlier, and I think it's, it's an important one for the world that we're living in. You talk about, I can't be discipled through listening to 20 sermons a week, you know? And when I was uh, fresh out of Bible school and learning to preach, um, Tim Keller probably taught me more about preaching than anything through listening to his sermons. And, um, you know, I think about you being a huge part of gospel coalition, which of course him and Don Carson started. And, um, how do we discern then uh, what is appropriate to get from some of these? I mean, we're talking about this on a podcast, you know, so I don't want us to be disingenuous. Um, you know, we do live in this world where, man, we have so much great content and you and the folks at Gospel Coalition, if somebody's not familiar with that website, that's typically one of my main resources that when I have a question I go to. And so how then do you suggest to maybe a younger Christian, how do we discern what I can get from Melissa or Mike Kruger or Tim Keller or a podcast and what I need to go to my pastor for the person who is mentoring me? Absolutely. That's a great question. And honestly, I I told you about the two women who had really mentored me in high school and college, but I would say after that, you know, my husband and I moved a lot because of his education 
And then we landed in a church where we were some of the oldest people at like 27. Oh man. So so then we, we went into years of pouring in and not having much poured in. Um, So I really do understand there are, are seasons when I, I really didn't have many mentors in my life. Um, And I remember it's, it's a little bit like, um, it's just a good, it's a good thing, but sometimes good things are withheld for good purposes. Sometimes we don't get the spouse we'd hope for. Sometimes we don't get the child we hope for. Sometimes we don't have a mentor we hope for. And we, mm-hmm. we might question, well, God, I know this is a good thing. Why won't you give it to me? Um, and in, in that place, we have to trust the Lord. And so at that point, authors became mentors for me. Yeah, and so yeah. there, there really is a place for, oh, it's really helpful sometimes to have someone who's not in your church context, um, who can speak about different topics that you can hear about. Um, And it's really helpful to have people out from the church at large. And so I think that's what we can say. We can for sure learn from the church universal but then I think our, we need to understand how much we need the church local. And so I, I think both things need to work in tandem. But there will be seasons when maybe we don't have anyone pouring into us and we're pouring out to others. And I highly recommend listening to those Tim Keller sermons and getting yeah. that. Um, the Lord has given us so many resources, particularly in the West, that we can avail ourselves. Of. Yeah, like we can take hold of these things yeah. and use them and um even just helps like with Bible studies, you know, when you don't have the time because you're raising lots of kids or something, do a Jen Wilkins study. I mean, yeah. like there are great things available to help us in discipleship now. And so um, I think we should definitely use them, but just that we remember not, not to, um, uh, to, that we remember to take advantage of the 70 year old woman or man in our church who's praying faithfully and has walked through a lot of life, not to just because maybe they don't have the fastest answer. Um, look at the pattern of their life and, and go to them with some questions and make sure that we don't neglect what's right in front of us. I guess that's yeah. my concern is sometimes, sometimes they're not there. Like in my church plant, there was literally no one who was 80 years old. <laughs> like they mm-hmm. were not there. Um, but when they are there, um, seeking them out and, and really seeking them for wisdom. Yeah. It, I think that's tremendous because you, you make that distinction of, um, we can get answers from gospel coalition. You can get answers from a podcast, but nobody can see the pattern of maybe we'll continue to use Tim Keller, but you know, from a Tim Keller sermon, you can't see the pattern of his life. And I think that that's an important distinction to make that the people in our church who have been faithful for a long period of time, or even maybe not, but the experiences that they have that you can see and taste and touch and, and whatnot. Um, those sometimes are much better than answers. Uh, we live in a culture that like really idolizes answers. And, and what I hear from you and I so appreciate about that message is it's not always about answers. It's not always about, uh, you know, little phrases that can make us feel better, but it's about living life to get, like you say, life on life. And, um, you know, we've, we've mentioned your husband who, who himself, of course, is a tremendous scholar and and great author. He's actually about to start promoting a book as well, similar in vain to this, uh, going about it from a different vantage point of addressing, um, you know, especially students and younger, younger people and pre-show you, you actually laughed and said that you were the one that 
told him to write that book. So, so yeah, he appreciates it. Yeah. So, you know, there, there, there might be people here who say, this is great. I, I'm definitely going to go out and find a mentor or a mentor, but I have a young person at home mm. who I'm, I'm worried about sending into the world that we currently live in. How can we, whether it's a, maybe it's a student pastor, maybe it's a mother or father, how can we best mentor and disciple a younger generation now that has maybe not more questions than, you know, every young generation has questions, but um, on the heels of a technological revolution and social media and, and all these other things, how can we be best mentoring and discipling younger generations? Yeah. And this is where books really can help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and answers too. Yeah, it, it does. It really does. And even just the answer that is sometimes, um, it's okay not to have the answer. Yeah. Meaning when my husband and I both were at Chapel Hill, um, we both studied under Bart Ehrman, who's yeah. a leading New Testament scholar. He doesn't claim Christianity. I think he claims now that he's an agnostic. Um, in fact, he was pretty, when we took him, I mean, I took him for New Testament. Mike had taken him for New Testament. He was pretty uh, adamant in his um, view. I think that, you know, it was, it was a lacking of intelligence or maybe a lack of understanding if you really thought the Bible was the word of God. And so you, yeah. you're coming in as a freshman or a sophomore and you're taking these classes and this guy's brilliant. It's not mm -hmm. like you're, we're sitting there saying, oh, he didn't know anything. He knew way more than either of us knew. I mean, yeah. he is completely, he's a leading scholar. He's absolutely brilliant. He's talking about things that we don't, I don't, I don't know about historical documents. I don't know how you evaluate ancient text, uh, you know? And so he's saying, oh no, there are multiple different stories of Jesus's crucifixion. Haven't you noticed this before? Yeah, he's just pulling the Bible apart. And so you're sitting there and you're saying, huh, have I believed this? And maybe it's all false. And you know, whether it's in a religion class or it could be in a literature class, it mm -hmm. could be in a science class when things are being said, and these are obviously people who are very intelligent. I think it's really intimidating for a lot of 18 and 19 and 20 year olds to think maybe Christianity is just for people who need a crutch or people who aren't very intelligent. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's just something I've been brainwashed to think all these years. And so what Mike does in his book is he kind of goes through different ways Um most college students will feel um, that intellectual assault on their faith because we often worry about kids in college, their moral life, mm -hmm, and that's yeah. valid, but it often stems from an intelligence question. You know, I mean, Satan, when he went to Eve, he started with a question of belief that led to her disobedience. So it's often our question of what we're thinking about God yes. that will lead yeah. to our actions. And so he's hitting at what are the intellectual doubts that you may face as a, as a college student coming in. Um, and we, we've done this with our daughter. She is now a sophomore at Chapel Hill. Oh, great. Um, so she's there and we all, of, she and her roommates will FaceTime with us and they'll say, okay, so the question for today is spiritual gifts. And, you know, they'll have mm -hmm. all these questions for us. And I, I, I had told my husband, I realized a lot of people just don't have that. Like they don't have these options. So I was like, write this book, 
give them the answers that you're giving her. Um, and I just think it's really needed because a lot of parents don't have these answers and it's okay yeah. not to have them. That's why we have resources. That's why we have people who have studied this. Um, and that was actually why my husband per- pursued PhD work. He sat in that classroom and he said, I know there must be answers. Someone needs to find them. And that's why he spent years of study doing mm-hmm. it. And so I say, give those years of study back to these 18 and 19 year olds who are sitting in these classes with the same questions you had, but maybe can't go this route and pursue yeah. finding the answers. Yeah. And, and Mike, um, we had mentioned pre-show you and him both have this wonderful ability to address the academic sphere and the lay sphere. And he, um, is a pretty great textual critic himself. Um, I think his blog's called Canon Fodder, which is appropriate. Um, but you know, it's funny, Bart Ehrman, I think comes up on this show all the time, probably because I'm in North Carolina, but I've had Mike Bird on the show. I've had Justin Briarly on the show and I've seen how quite a bit of evangelicalism has been shaped by people like Bart Ehrman and, and us having to realize we can't keep sending kids off to college or even take it out of the college sphere. We can't have single mothers. We can't have uh, business people in the world and, and think that questions are bad, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they, that they need to just accept these things on blind faith because we learn from people like Bart Ehrman and the experiences that you guys had out in Chapel Hill, that that's just, that's just not effective. And so that's one thing that I really, really love about gospel coalition. And um, obviously you've been a part of gospel coalition for quite a while. And as I mentioned before, the content that you can find on, on gospel coalitions website is second to none really. And, and, but, um, that's some of the best teaching and resources around for Christians. Um, but as you guys look at maybe the world that we live in now, I I find that oftentimes the people that I see involved in gospel coalition, um, are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, very conservative theologically, but also not wanting to be tipped into, um, maybe the political sphere where we find ourselves realizing that evangelical and conservative means something that we don't want it to. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you leading the women's division and the rest of gospel coalition have faced in, uh, seeing men and women being led to a deeper life in Christ? Mm, Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, probably the reality is that faithfulness just isn't very valued. Um, we want the new shiny discussion. We want the new shiny book. We want the new shiny guru uh, mm-hmm. telling us, hey, here's how to have the great life. Like, girl, wash your face. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's selling bonkers at like Target and things like that. Not, and yeah, I read it and I was so discouraged. Um, I'll say this. I was so discouraged because from a line that said, your life is up to you. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I don't think there's a bigger anti-gospel statement than that. Um, thankfully my life is not up to me. It is up to a God who is rescuing me, um, who has rescued me from the dominion of darkness. Um, and so thankfully, and his spirit in me will change me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thankfully, thank the Lord, my life is not up to me. Um, and that my goals can be so much bigger and better than a condo in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I can actually have goals of being loving and patient and kind and joyful. Like the spirit can do that in me because, you know, if I get the beach house in Hawaii and I'm impatient and unkind and unloving and discontent, it doesn't matter where I'm sitting. If I have those things in my possession, the gospel offers us so much more. And I think the reality of our publishing industry is out there 
there can be a lot of things that masquerade as Christian that are really just selling a worldly gospel. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think my biggest challenge is to get women in the text Mm -hmm. and realize treasure is found in Christ alone. And all the things that are promising you worldly goods are never going to satisfy your soul. But listen to Isaiah 55 that says, come, come to me and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Um, And I just want to tell you that my passion to tell women is there isn't, no better life than the life that has your head in the text every day of your life. I've walked with the Lord since I was 14 and daily Bible reading and daily prayer have been the anchors of my soul. And all I want to say to people is I'm not, I'm not inviting you to a legalistic hurting of yourself. I'm inviting you to a feast. No God. Yeah. Like don't, don't believe all that other stuff is going to satisfy you. Um, and I think in our world with Instagram and with you know these books that are promoting, oh, if your home looked like this, or if your children look like that, or if you went, you know, apple picking as a family, you would feel content. I just want to say, you know, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so it's the constant, um, faithful, quiet message that is the most powerful one. And sometimes it's the hardest to get people to listen to. Um Wow. Well, I think that that's such a wonderful message for men and women. And I, and I continually, you know, for a man who's listened to this and that message is for every believer and in a world where we have the Bart Ehrman's and the Jesus seminars trying to deconstruct the faith. And then we have um, some people who might be suggesting a social gospel or, you know, a self-help gospel, what have you. I, I so appreciate you and Mike and the gospel coalition and so many other people kind of in that world who are suggesting a faithful life following after Christ and challenging ourselves with the scriptures, uh, not being afraid to dive deep and ask questions, find mentors, live in community. And that's how we won't find ourselves on these opposite ends of the spectrum, both just as dangerous as the other in all honesty. Um, And so uh, for listeners who are interested now, you, you, you need to go to the link in the show notes, go and pre-order this book, go check out um, all the other books that Melissa has, has uh, published, and then also go to Wits End on Gospel Coalition and just explore that as well. You will be completely enriched by the content there by her, so many other women um, and men. Um, and so, Melissa, thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been tremendous. I'm so encouraged to hear the words that you have to say. Um, and so it's been a blessing to me. And I know that so many people who have been listening are going to be blessed by it too. Thanks so much for having me.